0: you. may be seated. Our text this morning is a passage of Scripture that comes from the pen of the Apostle Paul, and it's a passage that speaks to the longing of our hearts. He writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, we're going to miss a lot of the meaning of that passage if we bring to that passage dull and mundane minds. And we're also going to miss a lot of the depth of the meaning of that passage if it remains couched in the language of the King James translation. The King James translation says, Be fervent in spirit. Dr. Moffat translates that phrase as maintain the spiritual glow. Now personally, I like that statement. Maintain the spiritual glow. What did Paul mean by that? When Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says, maintain the spiritual glow, what's he talking about? Paul meant that to be a Christian, To be a child of God, to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to live life with zest and to live life with enthusiasm. You know, I've seen folks get really excited at ball games and concerts and all kinds of events of of that nature. I've seen folks be thrilled with a new suit of clothes. Or a new dress. I've seen folks with a closet full of shoes be thrilled because they have one more pair of shoes. You say something about it and they say, well, you just can't have too many shoes. Others can get excited and enthusiastic over a taco bar. Folks fight for a front row seat at a concert or a sporting event. If somebody manages to get courtside seats for a professional basketball game, they have scored a victory. But what about church? We can glowingly and enthusiastically share a new recipe with someone. You wouldn't believe the recipe I've got for name it. Have you seen the sale? That's going on at whatever store is having a big sale. We can glowingly share a new recipe. We can excitedly talk to someone about a sale going on somewhere. What about Jesus? What about the gospel? What about the church? A.W. Tozer was a preacher of another generation. And Tozer had this to say. He said, in many churches, Christianity has been watered down till the solution is so weak. If it were poison, it wouldn't hurt anyone. And if it were medicine, it wouldn't cure anyone. There's some truth in that. Do you remember the name Henry David Thoreau? Thoreau wrote on Walden Pond. Thoreau was all about civil disobedience. He was contemporary of Ralph Waldo Emerson. And one time Thoreau was in prison and Emerson went to visit him there. And Emerson says, Henry, what in the world are you doing in prison? He said, no, Ralph, the question is what are you doing outside of prison? Thoreau wrote the poem about marching to the beat of a different drummer. He also said this, None are so old as those who have outlived enthusiasm. Well, as I said in this passage, Paul tells us that to be a Christian involves zest, and it involves enthusiasm. He meant that to follow Jesus, to call Jesus Lord and Master, is to have a glowing in the heart. And people, that was something that Paul had learned from Jesus himself, it was something he had also learned from his fellow saints. But more than that, it was Paul's own experience. Paul had known suffering. Paul had known hardship. More than once, Paul had been to the whipping post. Paul had been stoned and Paul had been left for dead. He had seen the inside of more Roman prisoners' prisons than most criminals had. And in his last letter, we find... Paul without his freedom and without enough clothing to keep him warm. But when we find him in prison, when we find him without his freedom, when we find him without enough clothing to keep him warm, no matter his circumstances, he wrote to the church at Philippi and told them he had learned in whatsoever state he was in to be content. We never find this aged soldier of the cross without a glowing heart. Now whatever we might think of Jesus Christ, we are impressed with the fact that Jesus lived with enthusiasm. Jesus constantly maintained a spiritual glow. Jesus was a joyful man. Jesus had a joy that nothing could overshadow. It was Jesus that spoke of the blessedness of the poor in spirit. It was Jesus that spoke of the joy of the meek. And it was Jesus Himself that said over and over and over and over and over, Be of good cheer. Jesus walked among those whose lives had become dull and gray. Jesus walked among the sick and the lame, the disfigured. They were all constantly coming to Jesus. And Jesus was therefore trying to always teach to them the secret of that inward glow. That was His message to those that He spoke to on the mountainside that day. When He told them there, He said, You are the salt of the earth. Now you think about that. When Jesus, in that sermon on the mount, He said, You are the salt of the earth... That is something so simple that any child can understand it. And it's also something that's so profound that the wisest among us cannot fully grasp it. You see, by that statement, Jesus meant that to be a Christian is to be different. Have you ever noticed how persistently... Jesus was expecting those that followed Him to be better and finer than those that didn't follow Him. When in Matthew 5 and verse 47, He asked His friends, He says, What do you more than others? He asked them that in reference to them saluting only their brethren. And as you read that passage, do you detect a tone of disappointment in Jesus' voice? What do you more than others? When Jesus found His friends, His followers, when He found them no more attractive and no more unselfish than those that did not know Him, folks, it broke His heart. And so the question that all of us might well ask ourselves, if we held a mirror up in front of our face, the question we might well look into that mirror and ask, what difference has Jesus made in my life? What is there inside of me that wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Jesus? If the answer to that question is nothing, then our Christianity is a failure. At least I know somebody's listening. When Jesus said, You are salt, Jesus meant that we are to be different. And Jesus also makes it plain and He makes it unmistakable that that difference is to be a positive difference. You know, it's troubling, but <clears throat> there's way too many people that view Christianity in terms of harmlessness. How often have you heard someone say, well, I'm not so bad? Have you ever heard anybody say that? This means yes. This means no. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, I'm not so bad? Yeah. Folks, a Christian is not merely somebody that does no harm. A Christian is a positive factor. Whether it's at home, whether it's in the church, or whether it's in the community, a Christian has a positive influence for good. The presence of a Christian makes a difference. And when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, He means that a Christian is someone who can no more be ignored then salt can be ignored. And salt is a positive something. We miss salt when it's absent. You want to know about missing salt? Well, I'm fixing to tell you, son. That's kind of refreshing in a way. Several years ago, Bryant was diagnosed with a kidney disorder. And the doctor said he can't have but 2,000 milligrams of sodium a day. Folks, you start reading the labels on processed food, 2,000 milligrams of sodium is nothing. There was nothing in our house cooked with salt. Matt, you remember those days? Yes. Yes. Matt and I just about emptied the salt shaker on our food at every meal because it didn't have any salt. You can't ignore salt. If salt is there, then you know it. And if salt is absent, oh my goodness, you sure know salt is absent if it's not there. Now, you know, salt is something that when we don't have it, we miss it. We recognize it when it's there. And that's the way a Christian has to be. A Christian is to be a purifying and preventative force in this world. Without the presence and without the influence of the Christ-like character, the world does not climb upward. It slips down. Without the presence and the influence of a Christ-like character, the world does not make progress toward the heights. It disintegrates and rots. And you look around America today and we're seeing that. Over the last 50 years, the secular progressives in this country have had a literal field day. They have succeeded in largely making our nation a God-neutral nation. And sometimes our nation is more than God-neutral, it's downright anti-God. Prayer has been forbidden. Same-sex marriage has been endorsed. Gambling has been promoted as a solution to the state's economic woes. And according to the most recent data available, which was for 2015, there were 908,000 abortions. Done in America in 2015. That works out to almost 2,500 babies murdered every day of the year. All this stuff's going on, and people just go on about their business. I was watching the news reports the other day. There was a football coach in Washington State who lost his job. You know why he lost his job? Because he prayed after a football game. After football games, this coach would go off to a corner of the field by himself. He would kneel down and pray. He didn't tell his players, You guys have to come over here and pray with me. He didn't say to the people in the stands, Y'all got to pray. He just walked over and quietly prayed. All alone. Well, as time went on, some of his players joined him. He didn't ask them to. He didn't force them to. They just wanted to. And some fans came, and some parents came. And the school district says, "You're a school employee. You're a government employee. This is a violation of church of the separation of church and state, which, by the way, is not in the Constitution." But they said, "You've got to quit praying after these football games, or you're going to get fired." He said, I'm not going to quit praying. He lost his job. And then after he lost his job, he went to court. The court in Washington State ruled against him. That's a big shock. So he went to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And guess what? He lost his appeal there. But he said he's not through. He lost his job because in a land where supposedly free speech is protected... He prayed to the God of heaven. A land where supposedly we're free to worship God however we see fit. He didn't force it on anybody else. But because someone, and this was by the way after five or six years of doing this, someone at another school complained about it. The secular progressives in our country are having a literal field day and we must stand up to them. It is safe to say that every great tragedy that comes into life comes for lack of the saving salt of Christ-like character. And Jesus tells us that to be a Christian is to be a positive and preventative force. But... The richest meaning in being a Christian is having a zest and an enthusiasm for life. It's to find a tang in the feast of life and to give that tang to others. Because without the salt of a Christ-like character, life literally becomes insipid. The Christian knows the secret of the spiritual glow. And it's a privilege that all of us can enjoy. It's a privilege that all of us can have. We can have zest and enthusiasm for life as Christians that the man of the world, that man or that woman that doesn't have Jesus in their life, they'll never know about it. And Paul says you are to maintain that spiritual glow. Paul says that we have a zest, the world is a stranger to, and that we can lose it. So to keep that zest and that enthusiasm and that spiritual glow to live zestfully requires some effort on our part. Because that loss of radiance, that loss of zest, that loss of enthusiasm, it can happen to us. It threatens all of us. I think every one of us, if we went around the room this morning, every one of us could name someone we know that once upon a time had that radiance. And for a lot of folks, that spiritual glow is something that belongs to their yesterdays. You remember how Jesus followed that declaration that you're the salt of the earth? He said, if the salt has lost its savor, it is henceforth good for nothing. Dr. Moffat says, if the salt has lost its savor, it becomes insipid. that word insipid, I like it, because insipid is a very revealing word. It means dull, bland, characterless, tame, uninteresting, boring, and unappetizing. So the Christian that has no salt, the Christians whose salt has lost its power, is bland, characterless, tame, uninteresting, boring, and unappetizing. Insipid is the church at Ephesus that's left its first love. Insipid is the church at Laodicea that made the Lord want to vomit. Insipid is the prodigal in the far country wanting to eat out of the hog trough. Insipid is the elder brother sullen, pouting, angry and mad and not going into the feast when the prodigal returns home. And you know something? The great tragedy is that this is often the case with folks in the church. Good folks. Upstanding folks. They're not crooks. They're not worthless sinners and heathens. But sometimes, sometimes our trouble is we've lost that burning heart. Sometimes our trouble is we've lost that inward glow. You see, the losing of that inner glow, the losing of that burning heart, means the loss of joy. When we don't live zestfully and we don't live enthusiastically, that's to live without joy. To fail to maintain that inward glow, that's to have that joy just die in our hearts. How many people are there in this world of ours today that are just bored with life? And they're bored with religion. How many folks have we seen through the years that that go to church just a little bit like a cow going to the slaughter? What was wrong with that elder brother we mentioned a while ago in Luke chapter 15? He wasn't a criminal. He was upright and he was honest. He was clean. He was a hard worker. But that elder brother was possessed of the spirit of slave. There was no thrill of immortal music in his joyless heart. He had lost his spiritual glow. And losing that spiritual glow, he had lost his song. And that tragedy goes even deeper. When we lose our zest, when we lose our joy, when we lose our enthusiasm and our spiritual glow, we're likely then to lose our usefulness. And I've known folks that lost their joy in religion and they didn't find any joy there and most times they end up quitting altogether. And sometimes I've gone to those folks, folks that have lost that spiritual glow and you say, why do not you quit? And more than one time I've heard over the years, I just lost interest. I didn't find any thrill in the program of the church. Well, the church just wasn't meeting my needs. Those who fail to live zestfully and those who fail to live enthusiastically usually become useless because they lose their attractiveness. Write this down. It's on the final exam. A joyless religion is not attractive. In fact, a joyless religion is about the most repellent, ugly, unattractive thing in the world. It's the joyful Christian. It's the Christian with a song in his heart and a smile on his face that's attractive and draws other people to Jesus Christ. We've got to keep busy serving the Lord we can't live in some far-off yesteryear. We've got to live today. And we've got to keep our faces toward the future. Paul put it best. We used this passage in our class this morning. Paul put it best in Philippians three thirteen and 14. Forgetting the things that are behind. And reaching forth to the things that are before, I press toward the prize for the mark of the high calling of God. In Christ Jesus. Forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what's out yonder, I press on toward the prize in Christ Jesus. If we're going to maintain that spiritual glow, we've got to stay in touch with Jesus Christ. You remember those two heartbroken disciples on the road to Emmaus, on their way back to Emmaus? Their master had been crucified. Their world had crumbled. The bottom had dropped out of everything. For them, their, their life, their future, everything was in ruins. And then Jesus came near, And Jesus walked with them. And they didn't even recognize Him at first. But that night, when He said the blessing at supper, then they recognized Jesus. When we maintain our closeness to Jesus... When we maintain our fellowship with Jesus, nothing can take away our zest for life. Nothing can destroy our spiritual glow. But to maintain that spiritual glow, we've got to maintain our closeness, our fellowship, our relationship to Jesus Christ. It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.